Hi, everyone. This is Paul Rod, and I want to welcome you back to the Hydrogen Podcast. So I'm very excited for today's interview because today I'm going to be interviewing David Jaramillo to discuss an exciting startup called Vern. Vern is developing high-density and lightweight hydrogen storage systems for long-haul trucks. They have come up with an interesting proposition to revolutionize hydrogen storage, and we think this could be a big deal moving forward. So with that being said, I'm going to cue up the theme song, and we're going to dive right into the interview. So the big questions in the energy industry today are, how is hydrogen the primary driving force behind the evolution of energy? Where is capital being deployed for hydrogen projects globally? And where are the best investment opportunities for early adopters who recognize the importance of hydrogen? I will address the critical issues and give you the information you need to deploy capital. Those are the questions that will unlock the potential of hydrogen, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Paul Rodden, and welcome to the Hydrogen Podcast. All right, welcome back. Today I'm joined by David Harmio, the co-founder and CTO of Vern, as well as a Breakthrough Energy Innovator Fellow. He received his Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry from Harvard University and later graduated with a PhD from UC Berkeley. He co-founded Vern in 2020 with the concept of building a high-density, low-cost hydrogen storage system to solve challenges in the heavy-duty transportation sector and help transition to zero-emission fuel cells. Welcome, David. It is great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, really excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your background. What led you to start Vern and what is your company, what is it that your company specializes in? I would also be interested to hearing about your work with Breakthrough Energy and how they're helping you, if you wouldn't mind touching on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've always been passionate about long-term bets, like a, as an undergrad I was researching artificial photosynthesis or forms of energy storage. So it was always playing around with curiosity-driven science versus applied-driven science and somewhere in the middle. At my PhD, decided to go to a, a group that does a really great job of balancing basic science and applied science. That was at UC Berkeley and Jeff Long's group. And that was really great because then I got to see how to kind of yeah, connect basic science to creating a product that could feasibly go out to the market. So it was during my time as a PhD student that I got exposed to the problems in hydrogen. So during that time, we were a lot of the work was funded by the DOE, some great work on uh, material-based storage. And so with that, that got me interested on what are the physical waste store hydrogen, how do material-based storage compare, and that sort of set the foundation for Vern. And one of the key aspects of it, I think I've been really grateful to be part of many innovation ecosystems. One of the first ones was actually at uh, Sanford Energy Ventures. It's a course uh, with Dave Danielson and Joe Moxley that I took and linked up with other co-founders now of Vern that kind of helped us on the right path. One of the key, one of the other key ecosystems was, of course, Breakthrough Energy Fellows Program. And that enabled me to really be able to must take this leap of faith and go from academia researcher to entrepreneur, something I had never done before. And I'm very grateful for that opportunity without breakthrough. It would have been very, very difficult to go from a, being a grad student to an entrepreneur and trying to raise the, the funding and get things going. So breakthrough energy is, is a broad ecosystem in which they're very deliberate about addressing different value, values of death. And there's, there's multiple ones depending on how you, how you divvy it up. Breakthrough Energy Fellows focuses on that early value of death from 
we have something great in the lab. Now we want to take it to a, a potential first commercial pilot, for example. And so they provide the resources, the mentorship with financial resources and kind of the network for the two-year program. And so with that, graduated last year, part of the Breakthrough Energy Fellows Program, was able to work on Vern full-time. And what we're doing at Vern, we are developing cryo-compressed hydrogen storage. So you can think of cryo-compressed hydrogen storage as the cold compressed gas. You get really high densities. Uh, and right now, to kind of give you a sense of, of where we are, we are a 14, 15 person company, and we're developing a few uh, projects right now with potentially strong customers. Oh, that's fantastic. Really interesting stuff too. And, you know, usually on the show, we cover a lot of the major talking points in the hydrogen economy, but hydrogen storage in and of itself is a critical piece of that puzzle. And it doesn't really get as much press as it should. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really glad that you're here on the show today. Would you mind giving the audience kind of a brief overview on storing hydrogens, the different industries, the different kind of technologies and techniques, and some of the industries that it's working towards, like trucking, maritime, aviation, maybe discuss the differences that are out there and what Vern is doing to steer that industry in a different direction with your technology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, that's a... Uh... That's the critical question. So right now there is a few, a very few established ways that are commercially available to store hydrogen. The most common one when I imagine your audience is familiar with is compressed gas cylinders. So the most common is a type four, it's all plastic composite overwrap pressure vessel developed in the early 2000s. A lot of work done here in, in the uh, DOE funded in US. So it's 700 bar storage. You go to very high pressures, to try and densify the hydrogen to get higher, higher molecules per unit volume, per unit weight. So roughly for 700 bar storage, you're about six, six and a half weight percent, about 25 grams per liter. So that may that mean a lot to some people, but maybe it means something to, to a few. Another way to think about it for those that maybe are in the battery space, 700 bar storage is about two kilowatt hours per kilogram. Lithium ion battery is about 0.2 kilowatt hours per kilogram. So it's about 10x better energy storage. So that's 700 bar. You also have 350 bar that's used in, in various applications. And the reasons for that is there's kind of, if you don't need to maximize density, it's easier to work at, at this lower pressure, more reliable compressors. You can get different tanks that can be cheaper, et cetera. So, um, so really it's dominated right now by just compressed hydrogen gas storage. One other one that's getting a lot of attention, but is currently not commercially available is onboard. And I'm, I'm not, here I'm discussing everything available for onboard storage. Second one is liquid hydrogen. So there's been a lot of momentum in, in various announcements where the industry is realizing 700 bar storage is great for now, while we de-risk a lot of the infrastructure, fuel cells, but it doesn't provide enough range. And so what the next kind of natural candidate is liquid hydrogen. So we've known how to, how to liquefy hydrogen for, for decades, how to store it. Most of that's been led by NASA and, and, and the US. And so the goal is rather than have these massive spherical tanks that store liquid hydrogen is to make it onboard compact and put it on a truck. So with liquid hydrogen, you do get some benefits relative to 700 bar, it's uh, notably much higher density. So you're able to maybe get up to about 10 weight percent, about 40 grams per liter. And we can talk, discuss more of the more, more some of the issues later, but that's sort of to provide some, some context. 
And then Vern, what we're doing is, as mentioned at the top of the interview, you can think of it as the thermodynamic optimum for high density, low cost hydrogen. So it's kind of the, really the sweet spot. So it's both compressed, but not all the way to 700 bar and cold, but not all the way down at 20 Kelvin. So it's really, for example, about 70 to 80 Kelvin and 300 bar. And the phase diagram, the dehydrogen density, you have, you have a massive uptick as you cool. And anything, if you cool further, we think it's kind of diminishing returns. Mm. It's really kind of the best bang for your buck for hydrogen storage. So those are kind of some of the options that are out there. So three options we really talked about that are most common for pure hydrogen storage. And within the different industries that, that are thinking about this, I think the most common one where there's a much more momentum is trucking. Mm. So for example, Hyundai has maybe more than 50 now. Exxion's operating in Switzerland. There's now being some delivered in, in California. There's, there's Kenworth in, in LA. And nearly all of these are going to be using 700 bar, sometimes 350 bar. And the reason for that is typically it's going to be 700 bar. It's compact. These trucks are going long range. So you kind of want to maximize it. Aviation, aviation slightly different. Their gravimetric density is even more important. So you're not really going to see 350 bar. I think you're going to be 700 bar or even higher. I know there's discussions of even 850 bar. So you really, gravimetric density there dominates. Airbus, for example, has announced publicly liquid hydrogen. So it's it's maybe less of a cost premium and more just we need they need to have a certain parametric density. Mm. We also have technologies from aerospace also does trickle down to kind of commercial aviation. So there's also announcements of liquid hydrogen tanks that are plastic. You could get very, very high densities. But something to keep in mind there is if you have great parametric density or you're potentially giving up on cycle life. So maybe you can have something that's 20 weight percent, but maybe that can only last 500 cycles, for example. And then lastly, maritime, the other big one that, that people are discussing, and I think pure hydrogen will play a big role there. So I think sea change out here in, in San Francisco should be the first commercial ferry in operation soon. And I, that's, that's compressed gas. They're very likely though for long distance cargo or for larger ships, it's gonna have to be a high density form. So that really is just liquid hydrogen um, or burn. And of course, the, the main fuel that's, I think, being discussed right now is ammonia. And so it's not pure hydrogen storage, but that does, from a storage perspective, you can get an increase in energy density, but it's a trade-off with the additional cost that's required to convert hydrogen, nitrogen, and make ammonia. So that's a really good explanation of kind of the different types of it. Can you briefly touch on some of the challenges and drawbacks to the liquid versus just the compressed technologies? Ultimately, I think it comes down to capacity, cost, and fueling or supply chain. So with, with gaseous, the great things kind of the, the, that it offers is there's technology available today. We have the tanks at scale. Main, main drawbacks though with gaseous, with 700 bar type four vessels is that it's still just not enough range. So for example, with best best in class 700 bar tanks, you're still 50% or lower range relative to diesel operations. Mm. For a fleet operator, that, that's a huge sacrifice you have to make. And they're still very expensive. So there's a lot of carbon fiber required on these. And as you increase in pressure, let's say from 350 bar to 700 bar, 
the amount of carbon fiber you need is doesn't scale linearly. You actually might end up needing a lot more than you think. So that adds a huge cost aspect. So for today, roughly about 25% of a new hydrogen truck is due to the gaseous hydrogen storage. These tanks are very expensive. Yeah. Those are the main, main drawbacks for gaseous. Liquid overcomes one of those main drawbacks, namely the range. So you're doubling, almost doubling the energy density there. But the main drawbacks with liquid are, are multiple. So one is liquefaction is very expensive. So it's about, from energy perspective, 13 to 14 kilowatt hours per kilogram at a decent scale of, of 500 tons to 10 tons per day. Roughly that, that adds around 2 to $3 per kilogram of hydrogen to the at-pump cost. So it's, it's very expensive, additional expenses. Supply chain is very limited for liquid hydrogen. Mm. So about, about global capacity for liquefaction is, is around 300 to 400 tons per day. Roughly that's about 0.1% of all hydrogen is liquefied. And so that it's, it's, there's no liquefaction plants in, in some continents, for example. So it's very limited supply chain. And it's mm. very difficult to scale up. These technologies are energy intensive, only makes sense at massive scale. And so that this is not easy to roll out and do it in a decentralized fashion. The other main issue with liquid hydrogen on the onboard tank is you're at 20 Kelvin. So you're going to deal with a lot of thermal management issues. And the main one is boil off. So you're, heat, you're going to be heating up the tank. These tanks can't hold pressure. So you have to vent the hydrogen. Boil off leads to a lot of complexity, a lot of additional cost, and thermal management is overall very complex. Awesome. I mean, that's really great insight into the two current technologies and their drawbacks. You kind of mentioned earlier that the, the Vern technology is designed to minimize both of the deficiencies. Can you kind of dive in and elaborate on how it is that, that your system really overcomes all the deficiencies between liquefaction and just compression? Yeah, I think in, in the in the past, like these solutions are just based on what already established, what already knew. So we knew how to compress, let's just compress more. With liquid, we know how to liquefy, why don't we just make onboard liquid? There never really was a need to develop crop compressed storage until now. There's a new use case that's onboard storage. So it, it is really kind of starting from kind of first principles, what what makes sense from the beginning. And so ultimately what crop compression, what Vern's crop compression offers is you're getting that liquid-like densities. So the question we were asking is how else can we get liquid-like densities without going through liquefaction? And that's kind of what we mentioned, looking at the phase diagram, we can effectively just compress and cool into the sweet spot and you get all the benefit there. So you're getting the liquid-like densities without the liquid challenges. So for example, there's no, no boil-off issues here. The tanks mm. are compressed, so they're gonna be cold. So heat will be going to the tanks that will pressurize the tanks. But these tanks are, are pressure tanks, so they can hold on to the pressure, so they don't have to vent as readily as a liquid hydrogen tank. So that's one of the main benefits, effectively high-density hydrogen without a lot of the liquid challenges. The other really important one is supply flexibility. So you can get into the crowd compressed state either through a liquid hydrogen supply chain, supply network, and effectively it's liquid hydrogen gets delivered at the refueling station. You can then use a commercially available hydrogen cryo pump and directly put it in our tanks. So that's mm. one way to do it. The other exciting way to do it and the way that makes sense to capitalize with all the massive deployment that's gonna happen with electrolysis is you can go gaseous to crowd compress at small scale. So effectively you can just conceptually think of this as 
You can have on-site production or delivery of gaseous hydrogen. You can then just compress it and cool, two separate steps, and then fill. So there's two different ways to get this high-density hydrogen. So you have that supply flexibility. And the one tank can accommodate both. So you could go to one station in, in South California, for example, that uses liquid to get to crop and press. That's fine. You go up somewhere else and it goes gaseous to crop and press. Doesn't matter how it, how, it got, how it got there, as long as it's crop and press, it can fill in our tanks. And then the last main one related to this gaseous to crop and press route is it's much higher efficiency. So mm-hmm. relative to liquefaction, which as I mentioned before, is about 13, 14 kilowatt hours per kilogram, this step of just compressing and cooling is about half of that because you don't need to go to 20 Kelvin and you're just compressing to, to lower pressures. So it's with all those reasons that you get all these benefits and ultimately comes down to having a, how, how that drives down the green premium and how that affects the total cost of ownership for, for truck fleet operators. That's awesome. And it really is a beautiful technology how you're looking into just marrying up the two and getting the benefits of both. And you kind of alluded to this next question a little bit, but I'm I'm sure you've already envisioned the end users for your technology and how they're going to get that hydrogen solution and how they're going to go with this solution to start decarbonizing their fleet. So what is it, you know, how are you envisioning that, that end user right now? Yeah. So the, the end user, Right now that we envision kind of go to market would be starting off with return to base fleet operators, more broadly fleet operators of heavy duty trucks. We also, technology will also make sense for aviation and shipping, certain segments of those markets, but we're really right now focus on the truck fleets. And we're, what the pain point we're solving for those users is we're going to drive down that green premium for them, for them to have the total, lowest total cost of ownership. And in particular, what really makes it more sense for us is to start with, yeah, private fleet operators that have returned to base operations initially. Mm-hmm. That way, it's minimal upfront additional capital that's required. Instead of two refueling stations, we just put one. And the other aspect to it is there's also fleet operators like the Amazons and Walmarts of the world that will have a warehouse and already have hydrogen there for their mm-hmm. workloads. So there's already high utilization of a hydrogen infrastructure. So we're targeting those as best kind of initial way to get into the market. So you already have a, a hydrogen supply contract of some sort, if they already have fuel cells and hydrogen delivered. So then we can start off with retrofitting or upgrading some small percentage of their trucks to be burn, crop and press hydrogen trucks, and then initially kind of keep increasing from there since we already have a kind of a foothold into that operation. But generally, that's how we're viewing things, and that will ultimately start to drive down that total cost of ownership for the fleet operator. Very cool. Just from the talks that you and I have had, I mean, I think that's going to be a home run. I really do. I I, I don't see any other way around it. I appreciate some of the information you've given on some of the economics and how your technology is going to help the economics of the hydrogen industry. If we can kind of change that a little bit and focus in on Vern itself, what stage is your company in? Are you currently developing prototypes? Are you in a, a seed round phase? Are you looking for capital? What, where, where are you at right now? Yeah, so a few things. So on the technology side, so with, with Breakthrough Energy uh, Fellows Program, the, the goal is, is it's a two-year program where you think carefully about what are the high technical risks that need to be mitigated 
so that by the end of the program, you've mitigated those and are ready for a commercial pilot, commercial demonstration, or VC funding, and to really start to scale up. So we're, we're on track. We're one year through the program. We've made substantial de-risking on the storage side and the refueling side, more on the storage side, however. And so, for example, we've already, we've tested prototype tank, store over 10 kilograms of crop and press hydrogen, demonstrate some of those metrics with the national lab. We also have, we're working with a few, few companies on, on demonstrations, including getting to a vehicle demonstration sometime next year. And one big milestone that we're working on should be complete over the next few months is developing our, our first NVP that we're thinking of as a system for, for back of cab, for back of a cab for class A trucks, you can store over hundred kilograms of hydrogen. So we're effectively doubling what you can store today, doubling the range effectively. So one of the key milestones for us and a key part of the stage we're at is having that MVP built and then ready for testing. So that's on, on the technology side, prototyping side, we have empirical data. On the financial side, we raised a seed uh, earlier this year. So that was participation from Amazon, Comet Pledge Fund, Caterpillar VC, and then Collaborative Fund are really fantastic leading investors. So one of the main milestones for us now is after we built this MVP system, do uh, some testing on, on a few more prototypes and de-risk a few more things on the refueling side as part of the Breakthrough Energy Fellows program. And towards the end of the, the fellowship, prepare to, to raise our A round. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations on the initial success so far. Thank so you. it sounds like you've really got your tech, your numbers are dialed in. You've kind of talked a little bit about some of the next steps. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? You know, what's what is the future look like for Vern? Yeah, one of those is I think continuing full steam ahead on the storage side. So that means getting on ultimately working towards a commercial pilot 2024 time period, but also with that showcasing the full full solution, the full ecosystem of crop compression. So that's where we want to show burn refueling equipment, refueling crop compress storage tank that's on a class A truck. So the, demonstrating the full value proposition that burn offers this full system solution for fleet operators. So that'd be a, a big milestone for us and something we're working towards kind of in our growth strategy. At a, at a kind of looking beyond that is of course, signing on large customers and then preparing for scaling up manufacturing 2025, 2026 time period. Anticipate that in the 2026 time period, there'll be uh, now thousands, thousands of fuel cell trucks on the road and then Vern will have some percentage of that on the road. So right now we have less, less than a thousand total trucks on the road, depending on what kind of reports you follow. But in Europe, for example, there's probably maybe a hundred trucks on the road in the order of tens right now in California. So it's still early days, but by mm -hmm. yeah, 2026, I think we'll start to see thousands. And so we want to be in a position to then, by the time that starts to be rolled out, really when kind of the first step in commercializing and industrialization of hydrogen for trucks occurs. We want to be in a position for Vern to be scaling up and be tapping into that growth. I think your numbers are right on with the with your estimation. And you know, a couple of years ago it was, oh, it's going to be in the 2030s. And now I think you're right. I think we're going to be seeing thousands of them within the next two to three years, four years, something like that. Yeah. Just kind of take a, a little bit of a, a step away from that and something that we we like to talk about with our guests on the show. I'm curious to hear what what you envision the hydrogen infrastructure looking like in the future. You, you've talked about what what you think Vern's going to play, but kind of that 
that bigger picture. What do you, how do you see the, the hydrogen infrastructure economy market developing? Yeah, I think it's going to be not fully, definitely not a centralized infrastructure, definitely not fully decentralized, but we see a mix and there'll be a substantial kind of mix for more kind of decentralized, maybe city gate or a bit more decentralized than that. So I think we'll, we'll see a lot more of on-site electrolysis or kind of located at certain strategic locations. And so having the ability to have energy efficient, decentralized systems will be very important. So that's, for example, Vern's crop compressor, where instead of having a liquefaction plant, which you would have to have at massive scale, instead you can start to make that work wherever you have at a certain scale, smaller scale, have electrolysis. So we generally see a bit more of a decentralized rollout. And I think probably what most people would agree with and with your audience, I think trucks will really help lead the way for hydrogen, heavy duty trucks, um, kind of the, the middle mile delivery, sort of long haul trucks. And that'll be really crucial to bringing down the green premium. I think we'll also see a lot of targeting of high utilization or, or hydrogen hubs. So something I, I think also your audience would, would agree with, whether it's at a port, big hub, or whether it's what we discussed briefly, kind of a smaller scale hub concept where it's at a warehouse and you have forklifts, you have hydrogen being delivered just to drive high utilization. This is all very expensive, high capital equipment. We need to drive high, high utilization from the beginning. Yeah, I think that's how we see the rollout. And I think at a high level, Vern's role is we have all these great projections. They're based on, some of them are based on kind of some new emerging technologies, but those don't really take into account what a lot of kind of the latest innovation or startups are doing. And so what we hope Vern's role will be is to actually, because we can really double the range, change the economics, lower the total cost of ownership, is to bring, bring earlier when cost parity occurs with diesel in many places of the world for fleet operators. I think you're dead on. I love it. I, lo- I love hearing people that have same similar thoughts as I do. Awesome. And everything. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, David. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed really you, you're kind of opening up that that box to all the listeners on compression, hydrogen compression, storage, crowd compression, where that's going in the future. And, so, you know, really a lot of the economics surrounding those different technologies and where your company, where Vern is coming in to fill in the gap between the two and really making that that best of all case scenario with your technology. Again, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, thank you, Paul. This is great questions. Always fun speaking with you. And for anyone else interested, feel free to follow our journey at uh, vernh2.com. You can reach out to me through there. And also, you can follow me on, on Twitter if you want to chat about hydrogen trucks or the Breakthrough Energy Fellows Program. My Twitter handle is just twitter.com. And then it's uh, D-A-V-E-S-T-J-A-R. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, everyone, if you enjoyed listening to David's info and his company, Vern, and how they're changing, like David said, you can check out their website at www.vernh2.com to learn more. Thanks again. I hope you all have a great day. Take care. Hey, this is Paul. I hope you liked this podcast. If you did and want to hear more, I'd appreciate it if you would either subscribe to this channel on YouTube or connect with your favorite platform through my website at www.thehydrogenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I very much appreciate it. Have a great day.